Welcome to More Than Special with Jermaine Suford. Our program is of interest to parents, family members, and caregivers of children and adults with special needs. Whether it's an acquired delay or one from birth, we'll speak with experts to bring you answers, information, and compassion. Now, here's your host, Jermaine Suford. Hello, welcome to More Than Special. I'm Jermaine Suford. I'm a licensed counselor here in the great state of Colorado, and I'm starting my radio show to introduce you to a lot of topics I find very relevant to kids with special needs. And do keep in mind that all kids do grow up, and so there's a lot of adults with special needs that we'll also be reviewing. I started in this field years and years ago by working with a very special kid. I will do everything I can to not share too much because I know that he respects his privacy, but watching his family give everything for him, they put themselves on every line that was possible, and they motivated me to take that same passion and try to help other kids in a very difficult field. He happened to have an autism diagnosis, but he also had other medical and familial issues. He did not live a typical life, but if you met him today, you would see that he's happy and his family is loving and he happens to also have a college degree, which if you would have met him when he was three years old, you would think that he, like his doctor suggested to the parents, that he should maybe be institutionalized because he was so low functioning. I started Consultants for Children, and I'm now the director of Consultants for Children here in Colorado, and we work with kids with disabilities. We also work with kids with mental health concerns, and um, we don't turn people away. So I get to meet a lot of families with a lot of unique situations. My experience as a licensed counselor has brought me to be able to work mostly with parents, myself, and then we also have a wide assortment of professionals working with kiddos day to day. I also go to a lot of conferences. Um, there's so much information in this field. There's law conferences when it comes to special ed and health insurance. There's um, conferences about nutritional information that affect everyone because we all eat. There's great conferences about parents, siblings, about self-advocates, which is a term used when a person with a disability is also advocating on their own ha behalf. So I get to meet a lot of people around this great country, and I get to see their compassion and their advocacy work. I also, in meeting with parents with my own practice, I also happen to learn from them their day-to-day -day struggles, and it's only that much more difficult in the time of COVID. I've seen this field change a lot. Um, when I first started, there was so little. I still have 
my university textbook from my um, abnormal psychology is what the class was called. And you'd think that in an abnormal psychology class, they would talk about a diagnosis that was what we now all know the autism is a, a diagnosis for kids with um, or for kids in America. But at the time, there's half a page and it talked about behavioral interventions with this guy out in California who happens um, to be the beginning of applied behavior analysis. And it, but it, it, it had a half a page to talk about an intervention. And in that intervention, it mentioned the word autism. I had already been working in the field for six years. And so it was surprised me that even in my university, we had very little information. But with information, there's more opinions. So everybody has the right to disagree about things, but there is research that we can look back to as well. That research has just exploded in our field. And I mean, if you type into Google uh, journal and you just type in the word autism or behavioral health or uh, intellectual and developmental disabilities, you'll find millions of research articles. So sifting through a lot of information is also difficult if somebody's recently gotten a diagnosis for their kid and then they type in that diagnosis into Google, wow, it's really hard. Um, so I will do my darndest with this show to be able to bring the most relevant information as well as the most uh, experienced people that I'll be interviewing. Another thing that's changed in the field that I like to see is the acceptance. There was so little acceptance when I first started, and before that, it was even worse. Acceptance, it's, it's not like it's, I don't know, trendy to have a diagnosis of something. I mean, maybe some people would say it is, but, um, but there is actually acceptance. It's not assumed that a kiddo with a diagnosis is bad or can't improve or even should improve. And I love being able to not have to walk around and talk about everybody's diagnoses. I mean, like right now in the COVID land, we're a little talking about, you know, if we have an autoimmune disorder or something. But it, working with kiddos, every kid is different, regardless of their diagnosis. And so I love that that acceptance has increased so much. There's sometimes more injustice, sometimes less. I could see how with the Americans with Disabilities Act, there's a lot more recognition for injustices for people with disabilities. But sometimes hidden disabilities are less understood. A kiddo with an autism diagnosis may look like a kiddo with depression, may look like a kiddo who's typical, may look like a kiddo who has a developmental delay. They may look very similar. And with assumptions with hidden diagnoses and visual ones that people can see, injustices do exist. I do, though, see that there's a lot of people who are fighting against those injustices 
And I hope that that increases at a rate that's proportional or more than the injustices themselves. Another aspect of this field of special needs is the growing age of kiddos into adulthood. It used to be that there was a lot less adults with an autism diagnosis because if the rate of autism is increasing and the CDC's stats are ongoingly, every time they redo their their statistics, the, the number is higher and higher. And I say about autism specifically, but this is true for ADHD, depression, anxiety disorders, And we can talk about those individually, but um, if the rate of children having diagnoses is higher and time is passing, which we can't stop that, but what we do get then is a whole bunch of adults with these same diagnoses and with very little um, supports. But that will be a topic of its own. I do see that parents are the biggest advocates for these kiddos. And so many parents become professionals. They learn that there's not enough professionals. And, you know, maybe they already were in a field and then they pivot. And when they pivot, maybe it's the attorney who used to practice, um, some sort of, you know, malpractice law or something. And then they find out that actually with their kiddo having a disability, they're facing these legal battles with special education, with health insurance coverage of benefits. And a lot of families or parents will pivot their own professional practices because they see the injustice of their own kiddo. I know there's a lot of BCPAs, which is a board certified behavior analyst who have, um, who I've met at a conference recently who have a child themselves. I will strongly support all those parents out there who are kicking ass and they are really great at seeing the need of their kid. And then they see it's the same need for the kid next door and the kid in the other classroom. There's a lot of kids when they are awakened to that. And so a lot of families become advocates in a bigger level. We are still failing to meet the needs of our most vulnerable kiddos. I know that access to care has improved, but there's areas like rural areas not just in Colorado or the United States, but I mean, there's there's some very desolate areas when it comes to healthcare and that recognition. If it takes an hour and a half to drive somewhere to get a diagnosis or three hours, it's very likely that that will take longer just to put into place for the logistical reasons. So it's great that access to care has improved for some, but there is still a big gap between rural America and urban America. There's also 
in the time of COVID, the reality that a lot of agencies and providers are had to close up shop if they were depending on face-to-face clients and their center maybe ha- was not able to sustain or meet the uh, social distancing, a lot of agencies I hear have had to pivot themselves and um, potentially not reopen. That will cause a significant gap when kids are right now not in school and potentially not getting their mental health, behavioral health services that they usually would. In this, we will be talking about solutions. Every single podcast that we have, we will talk about solutions. There's going to be some big solutions. There's going to be some small solutions. There's going to be some easy solutions. And of course, there's going to be some hard solutions. There's going to be some that are researched and through and through. And then there's going to be some that are conceptual that we need to get somebody to take on and research it, implement it, try it. There's going to be times when we're going to be wrong. And I really hope you guys all communicate with me when you have a difference of opinion. I hope that we will share ideas and have conversations so that we can learn from each other. We do not need to disagree, especially about such heated topics that maybe is different where you live than where I live, or maybe it's less of an issue and you would like to hear more about another topic. Let me know what you think. I also don't always agree with the people that I'll have as guests, but we can have a conversation about those disagreeing topics. I um, really love this quote from Temple Grandin. It's autism, different, not less. And I would like to modify that and just say, no kid is less, right? There's every kid is different. Every adult is different. I'm different than you, but that all of us doesn't mean if we have a diagnosis of something that we are less than. Now, people with a disability of any sort have an increased likelihood of less employment, less happiness sometimes. Um, So there is some stats, but not less of a person. And I hope that we can bring some really great self-advocates and people who've experienced the neurotypical us and have some input on how they experience the things that we take for granted. One of the topics that I'll be bringing up is homelessness. I have... um, been researching this topic because the number of people who are homeless who have a mental illness is absolutely disproportionate to the rest of society. There's a a research study that was done in 2014 with the Harvard Medical School, and they found that a quarter to a 
third of the homeless population and their group was in California. I won't go into the details until we have that episode, but a quarter to a third of the homeless individuals that they surveyed had a serious mental illness. The rate also over time, because they've done this more than once, is rising. It's also frequently that those individuals have a co-occurring disorder, co-occurring just, and and they don't, uh, I mean, they, they go into it in their research study, but those could be medical issues. They could be drug or other substance abuse issues alcohol problems, but just unbelievable. A quarter to a third of homeless people are have a serious mental illness. They did say that the most common were schizophrenia, bipolar, and severe depression. And I challenge you to think about what if those mental illness issues were actually addressed instead of the person being judged for their um, homelessness status. With those co-occurring disorders, something that really resonates with me, as a licensed counselor, we get taught about co-occurring disorders and um, not to assume that because you have diagnostic criteria of one thing met that that explains you. Everyone is different. But the number of co-occurring disorders with kids with disabilities is really high. Frequently, they're missed. Frequently, they're untreated. For example, if somebody has a diagnosis of Down syndrome, it may not be recognized that they also have a nutritional deficiency or sensory processing issues because their primary diagnosis is what somebody is looking at, is working on, is providing interventions for, is supporting, is recognizing. But issues like sensory issues ODD, Oppositional Defiant Disorder, ADHD, PICA, which is where somebody eats non-food items, and other like nutritional disorders, like uh, potentially not being able to process um, certain proteins or uh, having an allergy to a food dye. That was a big one um, back in the day. But diagnoses a lot of times mask other diagnoses. And there also is, of course, drug and alcohol use that um, would be a co-occurring disorder if it's to the level that's unhealthy. If those are missed and untreated, then we're left with somebody who isn't getting their fair share of interventions at a young enough age to hopefully prevent those issues from escalating and becoming their primary issue. And so when we talk about co-occurring disorders, 
frequently in, in the research and literature, it's referring specifically to drug and alcohol use or overuse. But um, I'll be sure that we talk about what those other diagnoses may be and how we can recognize them and treat them while not ignoring the primary diagnosis of autism or Down syndrome or whatever the topic may be. Along with that, there's what, whether it's in the rare, rural community, whether it's in some uh, families that do not believe the diagnosis exists or that a kiddo will grow out of it. I've heard so many times that a family was told that their son, that boys develop language later and he'll grow into it. And it turns out that they actually have a nonverbal kiddo with autism or um, selective mutism or some, some other diagnosis that potentially if the family would have seeked intervention, they could have had those years, months, days of improvement instead of waiting for the kiddo to grow out of it. There's a lot of kiddos who also have a kind of a path. Like, and like if a kiddo has maybe um, some defiant behaviors when they're young, really young, and then they move up to having oppositional defiant disorder, and then they grow up a little few more years. And it's these things that could have been addressed when the kiddo was significantly younger and more malleable, and their brain was more malleable. I'll use the same word twice. So the consequence of delaying interventions is serious. I would like to implore that if there's a concern for a diagnosis or a concern for a kiddo to seek interventions, go to your pediatrician or other care provider. Get those interventions started so that that gap is closed as much as possible. We'll talk about um, some common reasons why people may delay interventions. Another topic I, um, I personally get interested in is special education law and sometimes homeschooling. Special education law is um, we have IDEA, which is uh, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And IDEA is really amazing in that it gives special education rights to children who qualify. And there's qualification procedures and all these, you know, assessments and things. But with that, those kiddos, frequently the parents have to advocate for that to start that process to start and they have to know when they're being taken advantage of and or not receiving what is in their legal contract with the school district. A lot of families will resort to just homeschooling where then they don't have to deal with it. But with homeschooling, parents are not trained teachers. Um, 
not always. I mean, some are. That's overgeneralization on my part. And so if a family has chosen homeschooling as their option, then what quality of education are they receiving? And I'm not saying that it would be better in the school. There's some schools I wouldn't let my child step their foot into. But special education law helps families advocate for their kiddo. And so we'll have um, a special education attorney help us understand some of the nuances and when to reach out for um, an advocate like the ARC advocates that help with the IEP process. Um, When is that, that you jump from being perfectly fine with your um, school kind of, you know, they're dealing with your kid and you know that they're difficult. They're loud. They throw things. They um, get sensory overload. And then, um, and, and so it's easy to understand that the teacher may be frustrated, but then what do you do with um, when your rights are actually being infringed? When is that line? And if homeschooling is an option, is the IEP going to follow the kiddo or is it IEP, Individualized Education Plan? Is that going to follow the kiddo or is it just going to stop? What if you want to go back into the school after stopping or going to private school even? What um, expectations do schools have that are private schools to follow anything that a public school then wrote up? Because that there's a lot of little nuances in there that um, are just absolutely fascinating. And how is it that a parent's supposed to know all these things? <laughs> so we'll um, be going to break and come back and I'll continue sharing about some additional topics. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Your pets play a major role in your life. After all, they're as much a member of the family as anybody else. Now there's a show that will show you how to keep them healthy and living their life to the fullest. Healthy Tales with Dr. Mondrian Contreras. We'll talk about veterinary health and help you understand the wellness and treatment plans that you need to know about your best friend. Listen every Wednesday to Healthy Tales at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Success doesn't come by chance. It's a decision to take a chance on you. Attending the University of Choice is a goal, but not a guarantee. Dr. Cynthia Cologne offers you the formula of going from good, better, to best, and increasing those chances of receiving that yes to your dream university. Get the one-to-one attention every student needs to succeed. Tune into Destination University on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. 
Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to More Than Special with Jermaine Suford. To connect with Jermaine, or if you have a question or comment about the show, send your email to Jermaine at morethanspecial.org. That's G-E-R-M-A-I-N-E at morethanspecial.org. Now, back to the show. Hello, and welcome back to More Than Special. Again, I'm Jermaine Suford. Licensed Professional Counselor in Colorado. Today I'm reviewing some of our topics that we'll be discussing. And um, I just left off with special education law and and, uh, homeschooling. I um, highly recommend if anyone does have any issues um, before we have our episode on special education to reach out to agencies like Autism Speaks um, and other national agencies who can direct you to local places you can get help. Just like with getting a diagnosis, it's better to start these um, processes. Some are very lengthy and starting them sooner than later is a big help for ongoing long-term success. If you allow the the um, whatever is concerning to to continue, it might get worse. And as as a advocate for a kiddo, you need to recognize those things really early so that you can start preparing and preventing worsening. Health insurance law is a big one that I've also been attending conferences. For example, the Autism Law Summit. The health insurance law issues generally revolve around getting autism as a covered diagnosis or providing medically necessary treatment to any kiddo of any diagnosis. If it's identified that a kiddo has a medical necessity for something, Their health insurance, it seems, should therefore cover it. That's not always the case. So there's a lot of um, pieces about uh, different states or is a health insurance plan a federal plan or a self-funded plan or is the kiddo, you know, 18 or 22 or 3? And so what different laws cover 
um, it's really hard to keep up with those aspects because if you aren't an attorney, you may not know the nuance between um, uh, like something like a self-funded plan versus a non-self-funded plan. And um, I, so I highly recommend also if, if you're having issues with your health insurance not covering, you know, if, if you know something's wrong, reach out to some of the national agencies. And again, they will be able to help you find some local folks like advocates and attorneys who know whether or not something is, is right or wrong in your circumstance. I um, also have to just note that you, I mean, just as a numbers game, there's more attorneys working for health insurance companies than there is for you and your kid or for you and your intervention practice or for you. And, you know, there just keep in mind how something might seem just a little wrong or a little inappropriate, but yet it's allowed. And if, if you feel that, then it may be that there's actually a law that's being broken. There's also new law every day. There's cases that have been brought before different judges that impact you. And so maybe the answer was yes, three years ago that this was allowed, but now it's no. And you aren't going to get an email saying that because law changes. There's just no way to keep up with it. So um, I know that the, some of the guests that'll be coming, that'll be coming on, um, they'll be talking about some different resources and pages that you can go to online, uh, things that are free. So, so this is one where with anything related to law, special education law or health insurance law, don't accept what you have been told because a case in Oregon may have changed your child's allowance to participate in something that you're being told that they can't. Just as though you aren't being informed of these things when they go into effect, it's also very possible that the health insurance or the, the provider for the service, the intervention, or the school district um, council isn't aware of it either. So if it feels funny, keep looking into it. A topic that I have seen significantly more in the last, I'll say two years, but really ever, has been non-parental guardians who are unprepared. And when I say non-parental guardians, this could be grandparents, this could be siblings, this could be foster parents or, um, you know, some other uh, uh, non-parental guardian. There seems to be um, a lot more and I think part of this is also because of the aging population. If, if parents are not capable of caring for a child who's aggressive or if the parents themselves are ill or if one of them passes away or whatever the story, there's a lot of people who are jumping in to help and be that guardian for the kiddo who maybe is now an adult but are less prepared. They didn't have those six, eight 30 years of preparedness. And so a lot of their expectations are different. 
which is fine. I'm really glad they're there. But if their expectations are different or if they don't know who to contact in um, in a situation or they don't know, you know, something happened five years ago that may be relevant today, those infrequent experiences that families go through, um, they're just less prepared. And so we will be um, talking about how to help some of those non-parental guardians or if you are a non-parental guardian for a kiddo, and I don't mean necessarily legal guardian. I just mean like if you take your nephew to the movies, um, you're technically their guardian, but you aren't, you know, legally in court labeled guardian. Um, but how can you be as prepared as possible? Um, you know, that also does, of course, relate to there's a lot, a lot less support for adults with disabilities. And adults with disabilities with their aging, you know, the rate in which they're aging, time is passing, yes, again. Um, there's not as many interventions. There's not a, it's not as clear even um, how interventions can continue for adults who, um, that once once you are an adult, you don't have to continue with interventions that your parents may be initiated at the same level, just like you don't have to go back to school um, if you don't want to. And so there's a lot of people who could benefit from interventions um, who maybe are less interested in receiving them. And then there's also, on the other side, there's less interventionists. There's less people focused on adults. A lot of providers are already overwhelmed with their capacity, um, and and they're focusing on working with younger people because there's more of an impact. There's also, you know, it's rewarding to work with little kiddos. I, I know that that's the... I, you see a three-year-old smile at you and it's, it just blows your socks off, you know? So that impacts, though, the um, adult services even being available. A lot of going back to, like, homelessness as a topic, a lot of these things, they're just so interwoven. If there's nowhere that you can live that um, meets your whatever your, you know, people have specific needs that sometimes seem really ridiculous to other people. Sensory needs is, is a great one. You know, like if, if, if you cannot stand um, somebody being within your presence, uh, you know, social distancing is great right now. But um, what if you ha- are expected to live in a dorm room with a roommate? And what if that roommate stinks and maybe that smell drives you mad um and i don't mean mad like schizophrenic you know i just mean like if you can't think or focus and so maybe your education in in that college program is going to just end because of a sensory need that you have that isn't being met and it's absolutely something that can be addressed if it's known about and if there's an advocate who can help that individual um, or if you can teach the kiddo to advocate on their own behalf. So all that 
combined, there's just with this aging population with less places for people to live, to grow, to receive interventions, we need to consider where are people going to live who are nonverbal? If they're unemployed, might as well go into that as a topic. Employment is so hard with individuals um, on the autism spectrum. There's um, the number of, of people who are um, aging and then the number of people who are unemployed. It's so many individuals are not employable whether because they don't have the education or because they don't have the ability to function in the uh, work environment or because they just, nobody took the time to take, teach them the skills. There's a stat I uh, read that nearly half, half of 25 year olds with autism have never held a paying job. I had my first job when I was 14 and just think about the number of people who are in high school with a part-time job. Imagine half of 25-year-olds having never had. And so those individuals become a burden on the taxpayer because they have to eat. There's um, uh, a lot of kiddos who, it's not because for a lot of them that they're like in college or that they're raising a family or that they're choosing unemployment, but just it's a significantly higher number. And so with adults who are more likely to be unemployed and aging and losing their supports, their experienced advocates, um, they become a big burden on the rest of society. Those things, I believe, can be prevented at a significantly higher rate than they currently are being. And I know that there's some different programs that are in place, state-run vocational programs and um, different different people are coming up with great solutions. Um, There's some homes, um, small communities that are being built that uh, around the country um, that have where they can self-rely on each other and their skill sets and they can still meet their individual needs when it comes to language or um, needing to have a very consistent schedule every day. Um, it's, it's fascinating the solutions that people are coming up with, but it's out of this lack of um, solutions that we have to be passionate about it and advocate for these kiddos. And this is assuming that you don't have the added issue of being in a rural rural community where there may not be the social supports that the community has. And it's unbelievable the number of those, these individuals who eventually end up in the criminal justice system. There's um, even a, a great amount of research that's being done that's um, about the um, school to prison pipeline. And if you Google that, you can go to the uh, justice policy has, it's 
fascinating and scary at the same time. Um, I'll just hear they say juvenile crime rates are plummeting. Isn't that awesome? Crime rates plummeting. And the number of individuals in juvenile detention has dropped. Awesome. Juvenile incarceration rates have dropped 41% from 1995 to 2010. But on the opposite side, school discipline issues have more than doubled. And so it's almost as though the schools have the opportunity to teach the kiddos what's right from wrong, but they, they didn't expel at the same rate. They didn't suspend um, back in the day. You know, they have their, their stats, and you can look that up online, and we'll, we'll have an episode. But, um, for example, there is, uh, uh, according to the Education Department's Office of Civil Rights, uh, research in Texas found that students who have been suspended are more likely to be held back a grade, right, because they're missing their educational opportunities. And of those, they're also more likely to drop out of school entirely. So then if we're suspending students too much um, and, and they aren't learning their lesson because a lack of education is, does not equal learning, um, it's, it's leading kiddos to be less educated, more at risk for criminal activity, and it's just unbelievable to see how kiddos getting disciplined in school increase the likelihood of adult incarceration rates. Of course, that's not a black and white statement that I just said. There's We have to help with kiddos knowing how to handle when something that they do is perceived as wrong by our community. But there is a, a very big difference between incarceration rates and schools in doing the intervention. That'll be a fun topic. Um, the um, There's also a horribly sad increase in suicide rates and accidental deaths with individuals with disabilities. And it's hard sometimes to understand because if, if, if suicide rates are higher with people with a certain diagnosis, there's some assumption of cause and effect um, versus, so like if somebody has depression, then they're more likely to die of a suicidal act. But it's really hard to say if somebody has um, a non-depression diagnosis and they do also die of self-inflicted injuries or wounds or whatever, was it suicide? There isn't the person there to ask anymore. So there's a lot of assumption about um, accidental deaths and what is perceived to be suicide based on the coroner. Um, and, and individuals with mental health, behavioral health, and um, uh, developmental disabilities have a significantly higher rate than the general public. There's also a higher rate of... Um, people who are living 
in nursing homes and people who are over 55. Actually, there's a stat that 20% of people who are over 55 have a mental health disorder. And it's two-thirds of people in a nursing home um, exhibit mental health and behavioral problems. But they are also the smallest group to actually receive support. If 3% of adults who um, have a mental health disorder actually seek treatment, imagine this huge gap. I mean, it's been a while since I've been to a nursing home myself. My grandmother was in a few uh, while she was trying to find a good place for her. Um, But two-thirds of nursing home residents That's just, it's unbelievable. And is it because the people who are higher functioning or that have less disorders or behaviors aren't put into a nursing home or don't choose to live in a nursing home, whatever the story is. But, um, you know, because of that, the stigma, denial, and probably lack of trained um, professionals in like a geriatric setting, there's a lot of people not getting the support that they need. Um, trauma is frequently unrecognized. It's frequently underdiagnosed and untreated. There's some people who would argue that living in this society is traumatic for any child. Like how hard it must be to have um the constant, the constant hum of the difficulties, the news, the just um, not that I'm going to say that you shouldn't let your kids see what's going on in the world, but even typical kids can have traumatic experiences and it be unrecognized. There's a lot of kiddos who have uh, divorced parents and witnessed disagreements that maybe were not understood. But then if you add a kiddo who has sensory issues and a learning difference and an unsupportive uh, community, you know, bullies and their, their chances for having a strong, healthy employment and happy family are less, you know, just that these compounding issues that I've been talking about, their rate of response to traumatic experiences and somebody to recognize those and help them process is significantly different. I see this as one of those areas that we're just starting to open up. There's also household considerations of increased divorce with parents, siblings who have a different set of expectations. How sucky would that be to have to grow up in a family where, you know, your older sibling gets away with murder because they have whatever diagnosis and you just try to do one little thing and you get in trouble for it. And it's hard for a kiddo to comprehend, but at the same time, siblings become the most supportive, helpful advocates for their sibling. And they learn this compassion and understanding and respect for others that is out of this world. Um, but the, the acknowledgement that in the household, having 
parents have more depression, having that higher divorce rate, it's a reality that it's hard. If one parent believes one way of parenting a typical kid and then not a, you know, and the other parent disagrees, it's your baby that we're talking about. And it gets really difficult to be in a relationship with somebody who disagrees so so much so. I'll be bringing on um, also some folks to talk about um, sex and sexuality differences with individuals um, that come from different learning styles. And, you know, maybe uh, we can learn about how we can help support growing um, people who are healthy and making healthy choices. Um, And I will also go through some really awesome technologies that have helped us be more available for all of our different kiddos in their different learning environments. So I really thank you guys for um, joining me today and do go to morethanspecial.org. I will be having a page for each topic, some that I've reviewed today and others that will come up through your suggestions. And if you... um, as, as a listener, know how I can improve on a topic or bring on another speaker about a, a nuance, please feel free to let me know. My email is germaine, which is spelled G-E-R-M-A-I-N-E, germaine at morethanspecial.org. And that will also be on that website. And you can um, please take the time to give me... Give this show, not just me, a five-star review and give any feedback. We're on Facebook, um, like I already said about email, uh, Twitter, everything is uh, um, more than special. Um, If there is a topic of interest that you have that I haven't brought up or a solution that you know of, I am going to combine all of these different resources. And if a family comes up with an issue, even down the road, I want to be able to give them a resource and you might be the person giving me that resource. So please consider the future family that maybe you've gone through something and you can help them. Remember that there will be big solutions and small solutions and we can all come together and come up with those for those future families. Thank you for your time today. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to More Than Special. Be sure to tune in again for another program featuring your host, Jermaine Sufert, next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thanks again for being a part of the show. 